So today's going to be fun. I know everybody's excited, and you know, anytime you begin to talk about marriage and relationships, everybody just feels these warm, fuzzy feelings like, oh, this is going to be great. But anyways, if, if that's the attitude that you came in here with, I, I really believe that God specifically wants to speak to you about that. Because marriage and relationship is the second most important relationship in our lives. And why should we feel awkward talking about something that God has given us and, and, and how special that it is? But I want to say this as, as just a, you know, as, as a prerequisite. I want you to know that, that I'm going to speak from a place, not of an expert, but as somebody that, that is in the struggle right with you. Because the truth is, we call this, this sermon series, The Struggle is Real. And the truth is, the struggle is real. And so we're going to talk about some of these things. And I don't want to ever appear to come across as, a, as an expert or somebody that does it all right. I'll be honest with you, I struggled this week. And, and, and listen, you know, it's important to me that, that I am a good husband. It's not just important, it is a priority that I am a good husband that I'm a good father, that, that these are the things that, that matter the most to me. And, and for me, no, no amount of success in my life is, is, is worth anything if it doesn't include my family in it. As a matter of fact, I don't consider anything that is accomplished in my life as a success if it doesn't have my family involved in it. But how many knows that, you know, you know, that, that in the home, with, with your husband, with your wife, in front of your children, that is oftentimes the most difficult place to, to live out your Christianity. You know, if your Christianity doesn't work at home, you, you don't want to export it. And again, we, we don't want to have this unrealistic standard that you have to be perfect. I mean, there's no perfect moms, no perfect dads, no per perfect husbands, no perfect wives. You know, there's no such thing. Even the most holiest person on the face of the earth is still human. And so we're going to talk about, you know, what that is like and, and, and how to work through some things. But, but this first message, we're going to talk about the, the most important issue in marriage and relationships. The most important issue in marriage, in relationships. So if you'll turn to the book of John, chapter number 4, um, you know, that, that prophetic word that came while you're turning there, that, that, that prophetic word that came forth, I, I really believe is confirmation of, of what God is wanting to uh, address and deal with in our lives. I, I really believe that, 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 that God is wanting to move in a special way in the heart, and, and relationships of, of every person that is here. Now, I, I know that it's easy to, to, to turn off what you're hearing, uh, to try to block it out, to uh, pretend as if you know, nothing is wrong, you don't really struggle, that, that this is not anything that, that is uh, of uh, importance to talk about, especially men. And listen, this message or this sermon series is not just about married people. I mean, it applies to every single one of us that, that are here. And, and so I believe that, that God has some things to say to us, and, and I believe that, that God is, is going to minister to us in, in a very deep and personal way. So John chapter number 4, we're just going to start reading it at verse number 1. This is a story of, of the woman at the well. Most of us have heard this, but... I, I believe that God's going to speak to us in a, in a new light concerning this. Verse 1 says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize his disciples, but his disciples did, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. Now look at verse 4. He said, But he needed to go through Samaria. In other words, you know, it, it, was, it was a divine... No matter what... Uh, in front of him concerning his agenda, and, and no matter what was in front of him concerning the, the will and the purpose of God as he made his way to the cross, he said, regardless, as I make my way to the cross, I have to go through Samaria. Verse 5. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground where Jacob gave, gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And a woman from Samaria came and drew water. 
And Jesus said, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me a drink? And a Samaritan, uh, a Samaritan woman, For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is very deep. Where then do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his son and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. Give me this water. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you just take these next few moments, that you speak to us. And just as you met this woman at the deepest point of her need, we ask you to visit us in that same place. Lord, I pray that you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear, our hearts to understand and our wills to obey. Help us to tear down the walls that we've built up. Help us to be open and transparent before you. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Move upon us and in us. Change whatever needs to be changed. Build and restore and help us to become the kinds of families, husbands, wives, children that you have designed for us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. The struggle is real. The most important issue in marriage and relationships. Now, in our church, we have a wide variety of people who attend. And especially in the area of marriage and relationships, you know, in our church, we have people that are single. We have people that are married. We have those that are divorced, those that are widows. We have single parents, we have blended families, we have newlyweds, we have those that are engaged, and, and then we have couples that have been married for 40 plus years. But the truth is, when, when we begin to talk about marriage and relationships, you know, most of, pe most of the people begin to cringe. They begin to feel uneasy. They, they begin to feel very uncomfortable. But why is it that we feel this way? Why is it that we feel uncomfortable when we begin to talk about these relationships that have been designed by God to, to bring the, the, the most happiness and joy and fulfillment in life. Why is it that we feel the way that we feel? Why do we feel uncomfortable? Why do we feel uneasy? Why do we want to block it out? And why do we not want to listen? And why do we not want to respond? And why don't we want to have that conversation? And, and why don't we want to talk about it? You know, why, why, don't we, why do we not want to address or deal with any kind of relational matters in our life? And why do we prefer to come to church and fake it and pretend as if everything is okay when in reality our worlds are falling apart? Things are happening. Listen, the struggle is, is real. And, and I happen to believe the reason that we don't want to hear things like this and the reason we don't want to talk about it is the average person feels like they are a failure in this particular area. Or at best, they feel like that they stink at being a husband or a wife or a mom or, or, or a dad. We, we, we feel like that, that we are such a failure. But I want to encourage you this morning. God has never created anything with the intent for it to fail. There's nothing that God has created that He intends the outcome of that thing to become 
a failure, a, a, a horrible failure. And that includes your marriage. God did not create your marriage. And, and listen, marriage is, is God's idea, not man's idea. He didn't create marriage and He didn't create your marriage for the purpose of failure. And so we need to look at this optimistically and, and, and be honest and transparent before God and, and with the people that we're in relationship with and, and, and understand that it is God's will for you not just to make it, but to thrive. I believe with all of my heart the greatest witness in the world is a happy family. I believe everybody wants to be a part of a happy family. Atheists want to be a part of a happy family. Buddhists want to be a part of a happy family. Hindus want to be a part of a happy family. You know, agnostic, it doesn't matter who you are, everybody wants to be a part of a happy family. But in reality, how many happy families do we really have? And more specifically, is your family a happy family? You see, your family is the loudest gospel you will ever preach. Make sure you preach it well. Now, it's important also to know that there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. There's no such thing as, as, as a perfect couple. Listing chemistry will only take you so, long, so far. Uh, being physically attracted to that person will, will only take you so far. Listen, they said love at first sight is often cured by a second look. I want some of you men to look at me. I am your future, and it doesn't get much better than that. But listen, the, the, the truth is, you know, you know, we have to work at marriage. Something that happens when we come into the place of marriage is that, you know, we, we, we have this false sense of, of security that, that for some reason we think that because we are socially compatible, because he's cute or she's cute or, you know, we're, we're just so in love or filled with these warm, fuzzy feelings that our marriage is going to be a success. Well, listen, that doesn't guarantee anything. The truth is, you put in a whole lot of work to get to where you're at today. And statistically, marriages begin to decline in America immediately after the wedding ceremony. Why does that happen? Because there's a false sense of security that says, now that I got this ring on my finger, that, you know, I have seen, I have conquered, I have arrived, I have reached this place of just sheer bliss, and you quit working. And listen, when you quit working on your marriage, your marriage quits working for you. So there's a whole lot of work that goes into these kinds of of relationships. But the thing I love about the Bible is that the Bible has something to speak to us regardless of what season of life we're in. Whether we're single, whether we're married, whether we've come out of a divorce, whether we've come from a broken home, whether we are newlyweds, whether we've been married for, for, for decades, the Bible is a very practical It has something to say to us no matter where we are in, in this particular uh, season of life. Now, I think everybody would agree with this, that, that marriage and, and the family has, have, have been under attack for a long time. Would you agree with that? We, we, we know recently, last year, there was the Supreme Court ruling where uh, uh, the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage. And we thought that that was such a, 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 a tragic thing. And no doubt that it was. But did you know that, that you know, according to Scripture, that Marriage and the family has been attacked for thousands of years. Did you know that you can trace back the first attack on marriage and the family all the way back to the book of Genesis? As a matter of fact, the Bible does not even mention Satan even appearing until after Adam and Eve get married. Did you know that? As soon as Adam and Eve get married, all of a sudden, no Watts' name shows up. You know who Watts' name is, right? The devil. And so listen, I want you to know the devil is, is, is blatant, the, the devil is intentional, the devil is strategic, and the devil is bent on the destruction of marriages. You know, one of the things that I have found out... This, okay, well, all right. That's the way we roll around here, I guess, right? But anyways... Marriage has been under attack. It's, it's, it's very obvious. You can trace this back. 
And the reason the devil attacked Adam and Eve is not so that he could destroy Adam and Eve's family, but so that he could destroy their children. And if you read the scriptures, you'll find out that he ended up getting one of them. Listen, it's important that we learn how to get along. It's important that we know how to communicate. It's important that we're on the same page. It's important that we're not arguing and fighting all the time, that there's not a lot of stress and tension and, and, and just, you know, just, just relational problems that are going on. Because you know what the Bible says in, in James chapter 3, verse 16? It says, where envy and strife exist, every evil thing is there. When there is relational strife, and I want you to hear this. When there is relational strife in the home, you open up your home and even your children to demonic spirits. As a matter of fact, I can promise you that if you're not getting along with your husband or wife, if you're arguing, even if you're not screaming to the top of your lungs, if there's just relational tension and strife in your family, you have made your family extremely vulnerable to the attacks of the devil. And don't think for a moment that the devil didn't have a plan to destroy your family. You know, I was reading a book one time uh, about prayer, and there was a pastor that was uh, traveling, and... Uh, you know, there was a lady sitting beside of him, and, and, and as the stewardess came out and, and she, she began to bring food, the, the lady sitting beside this pastor said, she said, uh, uh, I don't want anything, I'm fasting. And, and so the, the pastor looks at the lady sitting beside him and said, uh, well, I heard that when she brought food around, the, the stewardess brought food around, that you said that you were fasting, so I want you to know that I'm a Christian too. And all of a sudden, after he said that, he said her whole countenance changed. And she looked at him and said, Christian, not only am I not a Christian, I'm a Satanist. And our entire satanic coven is praying and fasting to Satan for the purpose of the destruction of Christian marriages, especially those that are in the ministry. I mean, that's the reality. Now, if you look at the statistics of what's happening in marriage and in family in our nation today, it's absolutely staggering. Did you know that every 30 seconds in the United States, a divorce occurs? Every 30 seconds. Did you know that the average marriage in America only lasts seven and a half years? That 60% of all second marriages end in failure. I want you to know that's not God's plan. That's not God's design. I want you to know that you can bank 100% of that on the fact that that is the devil's goal for every single one of you, that your marriage and your relationships be so devastated that they end up in relational bankruptcy. But again, be encouraged. That's not God's plan. That's not God's uh, ideal uh, intent for your marriage or for your relationships. He didn't create your relationships to fail. He created them to succeed, but they only succeed when we follow his plan and do things his way and honor him in, in the midst of this. So let me just share a few things with you. Three things I want to share with you concerning this story in the book of John chapter 4 that help reveal to us the importance or, or reveal to us the most important issue in marriage. Listen, if you don't hear anything during this sermon series, make sure you hear what I'm about to tell you, okay? I'd encourage you to write down notes, get a tattoo on your forehead, do whatever you've got to do to remember this because this may be the very thing that helps you not just make it through, but see restoration and healing begin to take place in your lives and relationships. So here's what we see. Number one, the first thing that I notice in this story concerning relationships and specifically marriage is that Jesus reveals the problem. Now, nobody wants to hear about problems, right? We like to complain about problems. But listen, I, I've studied the Scripture, and God is not looking for those that excel in the gift of criticism, He's not looking for people who have mastered the art of fault-finding. And the truth is, we can become, and I'm guilty of that, I've been this way before, we can become guilty of becoming professional fault-finders. Understand that that's not who God's looking for this morning. 
He's not looking for people who become nitpicking, who are constantly nagging, criticizing, being harsh, cruel, mean, pointing out the the flaws and, and the issues that your husband, your wife, your children, or those you're in relationships actually. He's not looking for those kinds of qualities. But Jesus does reveal the problem that this woman has had. Now listen, I did some background study on this particular passion. And I found out something. I actually found out the name of the woman at the well. You know what her name is? Shanita. Her name's Shanita. Everybody knows who Shanita is, don't you? Shanita man. Everybody needs a man. Her name is Shanita man. Okay? In the Hebrew, it means Shanita man. But, but, But anyways... And so Shanita's got some problems. She's struggling in her relationships, and she struggled in her relationships for a very long time. So Jesus strikes up a conversation with her. And Jesus begins to talk to her and begin to address some of the problems that has caused so much relational pain and devastation in her life. So in John chapter 4, the Bible says that Shanita goes up to the well, all right? She goes up to the well to draw some water. And immediately, Jesus begins to reveal some things to her that have been the source of her pain all of her adult life. And the Bible says in John chapter 4, verse 13, he begins to address this need. He begins to reveal what her problem is. And he says that, and Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. Okay, what's she doing? She's bringing her water pot She's going to get some water. She's thirsty. And Jesus says, you think this is what you need, but this is really not what you need. You think you know what's best for you, but the truth is you really don't know what's best for you. And then he goes on to say in in, in, in verse 16 through 18, Jesus connects the story of the well with the relational struggles that she's experienced all of her adult life. Jesus connects these two things. He reveals the struggle she has with her relationships. And so he says in verse 16, he says, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have said, well, you have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one with whom you are with is not your husband either. So what's Jesus saying to this woman who has been through five different marriages that ultimately ended in divorce. What does this story have to say to us about the most important issue in in our lives, in marriage, in relationship? What is Jesus actually saying? Jesus is saying to her, the reason you have struggled in your relationships for so long is that you have looked for love in all the wrong places. That's what he's saying. You know the song. How's it go? No, don't don't sing it. But that's what Jesus is actually saying to her. You know, he, he leads with a physical need, but he begins to switch from the physical to the spiritual. And he says, look, if you knew who was talking to you and what he had to offer you, you would understand you would want that water, not just the water, because whoever drinks this water will ultimately thirst Again, And so Jesus is is saying, listen, this is the root problem in all of the relational pain that has taken place in your life up to this point. He says the root cause of your problems is that it's a spiritual problem, not a physical one. That's why he says to her, you're actually drinking from the wrong well. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying to her. He said, listen, I know you think you need this, but listen, you've been drinking from the wrong well for a very, very long time. And the problem has not been with, say, the five men, and I'm not saying that men don't have their problems. Listen, most men are knuckleheads. Most men are hard-headed. Most men don't have a clue what to do and how to function in marriage, and I'm just talking about myself here. But that's just, that's just the truth. But Jesus doesn't place the blame on the men 
he begins to say, maybe there's something that's a little bit deeper underneath the surface that's causing all these problems in your life. Maybe, just maybe, and this is not intended to be in any kind of condemnation, but this is just what the story says. Maybe the problem's not with them. Maybe the problem's with you. Maybe, maybe there's something that's much deeper than just personality conflicts. Maybe there's something that's even more difficult for you to deal with than just the incompatibility to sit down and have a conversation. Maybe there's something more deeper that's responsible than just your husband's or ex-husband's hard-headedness. Maybe, maybe there's something internal. Maybe there's something in you. Now listen, that's an important thing for us to understand. Most people carry baggage with them into a marriage that they have never, ever dealt with in their life. That's why when I sit down and I do marriage counseling, the first thing I deal with is the past. It's important for you to understand that you cannot bring your past into a marriage, into a new relationship. Because what happens is when you bring your past into a new relationship and say you've experienced hurt, and listen, I don't care who you are, you are going to experience hurt and devastation. You're not getting off the planet without getting devastated. But when you carry that pain from a previous relationship into your present, no matter how perfect, no matter how good-looking, no matter how hot, no matter how whatever you want to call it, that other person is, sooner or later, they're going to do something to disappoint you and it will quickly remind you of the last time that you were hurt when you were involved in a relationship. And when you don't deal with your past, your past is not your past, your past is your present, and then you begin to project your pain with the person you're with. You know, the Bible says that everything reproduces after its own kind. Now, if that's true, it matters what kind you are. So I wonder what you're reproducing in your relationships. I wonder what the root issues are of your own relational struggles in life. We all have them, right? I'm not saying anything that you guys don't already know, but Jesus begins to tell her, he says, listen, you look for love in all the wrong places. Your problem is much deeper than just the, 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 the problems that the men you've been with have had. And all of us, again, we, we have those problems. He says, your problem is spiritual. You're drinking out of the wrong well. Here's what Jesus was really saying. You have been looking for men to fulfill your deepest needs instead of turning to God. You've turned to men. You've turned to people. You've turned to just Anybody and everybody that would give you attention to validate or make you feel good about yourself to meet the deepest needs of your life. And you know what? There's nobody that can do that. I wonder, I just wonder, I wonder who you turn to to meet your deepest needs. I wonder who you run to when problems occur. I, I, you know, there's a lot of people, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but anyways, what Jesus is saying is you're turning to men to meet your deepest needs instead of turning to me. And so the truth is this. Many of us, we're no different than this Samaritan woman. She had no idea how to relate to the man that was standing in front of her. And that man was the only perfect man to ever walk on the face of the earth. And that man wasn't just a man, he was the God man. And she had no idea how to relate to Jesus. And many of us, and that's exactly where we start when we get saved, we have no idea how to relate to Jesus. And when we don't know how to relate to Jesus, you know what happens? We just continue to carry our own dysfunction into our relationship because you know what? We feel like God's out to get us, that God hates us, that God doesn't really mean what he says and you know his plans for us, we quote them, they're, they're good and, and not. We don't even think God likes us. As a matter of fact, we don't even like ourselves. And oftentimes, people's attitudes towards you is a reflection of your own attitude toward yourself. And so 
Jesus is saying here, here's, some, here, here's the problem. And listen, when you cannot relate to Jesus in a right way, what in the world makes you think that you can relate to somebody that you say you love appropriately? You know, the Bible says that, that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and and then he says, the second commandment is like this. He said, and you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so that teaches us a principle about relationships. If we do not learn how to love people out of the overflow of our love for God, we will never love people well. We will never, if you try to love people in your own strength, you are just, look, you're a train wreck waiting for a place to happen. I mean, here, here's, a, here's, a, here's a good test question. Listen, what does it really take to make you mad? You can tell how big a man is or how big a woman is simply by what it really takes to make that other person mad. Do you have a temper? You know that 60% of Americans lose their temper at least once a week. See, there's a lot of you that are hiding anger underneath the smiles that you have right now. And Jesus is saying, the problem is much deeper than you know. So we can look at this woman and we can judge her and say, listen, she was messed up, but the truth is we are her. We, we think everybody else has the problem. You know, again, when Satan shows up on the scene and, and Adam and Eve sin and, and, and he, he begins to, to, to share lies with them, they believe that. What is the first response that Adam has toward his wife? That woman you gave me, Lord. And listen, some of you have been playing that game this week. You've said the same thing. That man, that woman, these children are about to drive me crazy. You know, the Bible says he that finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. It's important for us to understand the gift that God's given us through our wives, husbands, and our children. So this woman had no idea how to relate to Jesus. And because she didn't know how to relate to Jesus, she just turned to people. And that's exactly what the most of you guys do. When things get bad, you turn to people. And people will always disappoint you. Because listen, I've been around the world and I found out something. People are people. Doesn't matter where you are. Now let me give you a couple of things right quick that happen in our relationships when we look to people to meet our deepest needs instead of God. Number one, this is good right here. Number one, we have unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations. Again, even the most spiritual and godly person in the world still human. How many of you heard of Billy Graham? Had a little small ministry. I think maybe somewhere around, I don't know, five, six million people have gotten saved in his ministry. You know, his wife was asked one time, Ruth, he said, uh, you know, in all your years being married to Billy, have you, have you ever considered divorcing him? She said, no, I've, I've never considered divorcing Billy, but I have contemplated murder a few times. And again, nobody here would say that Billy Graham's not a godly man. But the truth is, the best of men are men at best. And when you begin to put your source of happiness and trust in a man, woman, or other people, you are going to set the bar so high for them, the only option is for you to be disappointed. And so when we don't turn to God, when we need our deepest, uh, our deepest needs to be met, then what happens is in our relationships, in our marriages, what happens is that we end up disillusioned. You know what we say? This is not what I thought it was supposed to be. You ever said that before? And the truth is the people that can hurt us the deepest are those that we have the highest expectations of. And, and so we, we end up in a place of disillusionment and we call that marriage. We think that the dysfunction is normal. We think this is the way that it's supposed to be. And God say, no, that's not my plan. You're not supposed to live in a place of disillusionment because if you live in disillusionment long enough, it will end up worse called divorce. And, and it happens. Here, here's something that is pretty amazing. 
When you do not allow God to meet your deepest needs, you automatically transfer your expectation for fulfillment to the person or resource that gives you the most hope in meeting those needs. I mean, it's automatic. I don't care who you are. If you don't turn to God, you're going to turn to somebody or something, a person or a resource, and you're going to judge the quality of your life, the happiness of your life based on things or the number of relationships that you can end up having over the process of time. It's unrealistic. When we don't turn to God, listen, Jesus is the most important issue in marriage and relationships. If you don't keep Jesus center, you're extremely vulnerable to the devil. Here's the second thing. Second thing is this. You experience disappointment, frustration, and anger. You know, one of my favorite verses is in Nehemiah chapter 11. And Nehemiah's looking at what's going on, and he says, and I was very angry. I mean, I just love that verse. You know what I'm saying? I was very angry. You ever just get very angry? You know, the Bible says that, that anger is, an, is a normal human emotion. The Bible says be angry and do not sin. But the problem is when you live with anger long enough and you don't deal with that anger, eventually it's going to come out, and I can promise you you're going to cross the line. If you experience disappointment after disappointment, heartbreak after heartbreak, frustration after frustration, you're going to have anger. And listen, you know what anger is? Anger is the direct result of unmet expectations. If you're angry at somebody, most of the time is because that you expected more out of them. And we get angry at husbands, wives, uh, children. We expect more out of them. Now, I'm not talking about somebody that's out here blatantly living in willful sin. I'm talking about people that are just people, but you've put on a pedestal and you've projected your pain with because you've got internal issues like Jesus said at the woman, to the woman at the well, and you just think because you don't have a better man or a better woman that, you know what, it's their fault. So you constantly live in this frustration and, and disappointment and, and anger. And what happens is this. When you do not allow God to meet your deepest needs, you will inevitably end up being hurt and offended by the one that you put your greatest and highest expectations in. I wonder how many of you, I'm just going to speak as a pastor. I'm going to pastor this morning. I wonder how many of you are harboring and caring unforgiveness and bitterness, anger and frustration towards your husband or your wife that you never tell them about. It's quiet up in here. I hear my feet just squeaking. I can tell you, if you're harboring that right now, you better deal with it. You better address it. You, you, you better deal with it. Now, here's the second thing. I got to hurry. Second thing is this. Jesus reveals her need. Number two, Jesus shows her compassion. Jesus shows her compassion. You know, this story in John chapter 4 shows the compassion that Jesus has for people, listen to me, who fail. Jesus doesn't look at this woman who's had five failed marriages through eyes of condemnation. He looks at this woman through eyes of compassion. He understands she didn't intend to have five failed marriages. The truth is none of us go to the altar expecting our marriage to fail. The truth is most of us have never been taught the knowledge or the skills that we need to be successful in these relationships. And listen, the Bible says that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. You know, listen, you know, I didn't have anybody sit down to me in my life and tell me what, the, what a godly husband was like and what a godly father was like and, 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 and what, you know, the way that I should behave. You know what? So I struggled. Fortunately, God brought a spiritual father into my life who would simply speak into that and help me become better. Most people want to be better than what they are. But when you try and try and try and fail and fail and fail, pretty soon you just settle that this is who you are and this is the way that it's going to be. If that's where you're at in your relationship, listen, I want you to know, Jesus doesn't look at you with condemnation. He looks at you with compassion and he says, listen, I want to help you. Now, again, I'm not talking about the, the blatant adulterer. 
I'm not talking about the, the, the womanizer or the abuser or the person that's out here doing, you know, uh, horrible sin. I'm talking about people that's trying their best, but they fail daily, and they've tried and they've tried and they've tried, but they've never been able to get over the hump and break free and become better than what they are. Jesus says, I will meet you right where you are. And that's what he does for this woman here. He meets her right where she is. And Jesus has compassion for people who failed. He, he, he's not condemning. He's, he understands. Listen, I know. Listen, you've got a devil that you've got to fight. And I know that you don't know what you're doing. So he has compassion. What did Jesus say when he was dying on the cross? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are. That's exactly where we start out in marriage. So he has compassion for us. Thank God that he's had compassion on me. I've been married to Rachel for 16 years. And listen, I'm telling you, it's a miracle. And Rachel is the, I'm tell, is the best person. I know you've heard me say this, but I mean it. If you can't get along with Rachel, you are probably demon-possessed. It's just true. And finally, I've reached a point in my marriage. I told Rachel, listen, if you're divorcing me, I'm going with you. But fortunately, God has compassion on me and is helping me to do better, though I struggle continually. This is what Jesus is doing with this woman, visiting her in the place of failure. And I'm saying all that to say this to you. If you're struggling, if you're failing, if you're afraid, if you're hurting, if you come from a broken home, I want you to know Jesus looks at you with compassion. You know why? Because he understands the struggle is real. Here's the last thing. He reveals the problem. He shows you compassion. And then he provides a solution. He provides the solution. The most important issue in marriage and relationships is your personal relationship with God. I want you to know something. In the Garden of Eden, it wasn't Adam and Eve that was there. It was Adam and Eve, and guess who? God. And when you take the God element out of your relationships, they are destined to fail. Jesus has to be the center and so Jesus begins to speak and provide the solution in, in verse 10, in verses 13 through 14. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God that was with you and who it was that says this to you, give me a drink, you would ask it from him and he would give you living water. Then he says in 13 and 14, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Let me tell you, and then come to music. Let me tell you why your relationship with Jesus is the most important issue in your marriage. Here's why. Everybody here has four basic needs that only God himself can meet. They are not just the four basic needs. They are the four deepest needs of the human heart. They're the most important needs in our life that no person can meet, only Jesus. Now, what, what are those needs? Now, they're up here, or they will be up here, hopefully. Those four basic needs, number one, their acceptance. Everybody here needs to know that they're loved and needed by other people. That's a universal need. Number two, identity. Everybody needs to know that they are individually significant and special. Number three, security. Everybody needs to know that they are protected and provided for. And number four is purpose. Everybody needs to know that they have a reason for living. And I can tell you right now, only God can truly provide those for you in the deepest part. So let me ask you this question. When, when you have a problem, who's the first person you run to? A friend? A family member? Facebook? I know how some things are going in your life simply by looking at your 
Facebook feed. I don't call that wise. But who or what do you seek first? Now, you've got to ask yourself this. Don't just assume that you go to God. That's the problem with Christian folk. Christian folk think that they got it together or that they're doing it right or that Jesus is first. But when you evaluate your life, the truth is he's nowhere to be found. He's just kind of added at the end on Sunday morning. We invite Jesus to the wedding, but we ignore him in the marriage. He's the most important person in the most important relationships. The Samaritan woman tried to get a man to meet those needs, and no man could do it. Some of you, you're doing the same thing. And so I close with this. Some of you this morning, you, you came thinking, I'm probably not going to get anything out of this message, especially when they're talking about marriage and relationships. I'm single. Well, I've been married for some time now, and you know what? We're going to make it. That's good enough. But while you've been here, Jesus has flipped the message. He's flipped the message and the story around on you, and you're finding out that you are the Samaritan woman. See, the greatest and deepest need in your life is not a matter of gender. It's a matter of salvation. It's a matter of putting Jesus first in your life. And there's people here that you need Jesus. And you thought, this didn't have anything to do with me, and it has everything to do with you. Jesus is all in all. And he's saying to you, listen, only I can meet the biggest need in your life. Stop turning to people. Stop turning to relationships. Stop turning to drugs, to alcohol, to things, to materialistic things, to status, to power. Stop turning to those things. They're never going to meet you where you need to be met. They cannot fulfill the deepest. The only I can do that. And, and, and that's, I believe the Lord is saying that. And all you need to do is respond like this woman did in verse 20. Give me this water. And that's where some of you are. And then there's others that are here. You know what? You're hurting, you're broken, you're lonely, and you're struggling. I really, I, I didn't have this in my notes to this morning. God really began to speak this to me. This woman, according to Scripture, according to this story, brought a water pot with her to the well. I really believe that that water pot represents her past failures, her past pain, her past struggles, her divorce, her divorces, her failures, her unforgiveness, her bitterness, her loneliness, her hopelessness. It carries and it represents all of the things that she has tried to find satisfaction from. And I don't think it's a coincidence that it's empty. And some of you, you brought your pot, water pot with you as well. You're carrying the pain the hurt and the guilt and the shame and the loneliness and the humiliation and the past broken relationships and Jesus already knew this woman he already knew all about all of her failures but you know what he said I have to go to Samaria. I believe that that is exactly what God is saying 
this morning. He already knows what's in your water pot. He knows what you're carrying in here. He knows what's in there that you're trying to hide by putting on this front as if it's not there. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I have to go to Manchester. I have to go to City of Hope. I have to be here this morning because there's some people that have been carrying the water pots with them that they've tried to find fulfillment and happiness and joy in and they don't know that I'm the only source of what they're looking for. And for those of you that are struggling, if you fit into that category, I wanna to say to you with 100% assurance, Jesus is looking at you this morning with compassion. Some of you, you got unforgiveness against yourself. The incredible thing about this story, she takes that water pot, and it's, if you don't read it, you, you don't really notice that it's there. After she met Jesus, you know what she did? She left her water pot. And went back to her city. I want you to stand with me. She left her water pot. She left her water pot. You know why she left the water pot? Because she had found the well. She just didn't realize that Jesus was the well that she was looking for. And right now, God's speaking to some of you in these areas. And if God is speaking to you in these areas, I know it's gonna be hard for you to come forward, but let me tell you something, nothing changes until you take a step toward Him. He's come this way this morning for you. He's been waiting on you just like He waited on her. But He can't do anything for you if you don't bring your water pot and leave it with Him. So if somewhere in this message, God has begun to speak to you, in any area, you're carrying any of those things with you, I want you just to get out of your seat right now, even while I'm talking. Bring your water pot and everything that is in that from the failures of your past and receive from Him what your desperate soul was crying out for. She was looking for love and satisfaction from men without ever realizing Jesus was the lover of her soul. As they sing and as they play, I want you to come.